This is Dolphin Financial Radio, a show about planning your retirement. When you are young, financial decisions are easy. You aren't worried too much about the future, and you know you have plenty of time on your side. However, as you get older, the financial decisions get more difficult. Eventually, you reach the age where you face decisions about employment, home buying, raising a family, and college planning. Your financial success is often determined by how you handle the many curveballs thrown your way and by how much you are saving for retirement. Before you know it, you are within 10 years, five years, and then one year of retiring. At this point, you'll be facing new and different financial challenges. You'll worry if you have enough money to last through retirement. You'll be concerned about healthcare and longevity. You'll want to make sure your retirement is everything you always dreamed it would be. These are the retirement challenges that we will address each week on this show. Regardless of how far you are from retirement, it's time to listen in as we begin another episode of Dolphin Financial Radio. Good morning and welcome to another show of Dolphin Financial Radio with me, your host, Dan Wendell of the Dolphin Financial Group. Alongside me today is Tony Shore. We're going to have a great show. Today's topic is called Why Investors Lose. Why investors lose? Yikes. Yes, they do. But before we get into that, let's talk to a perennial loser. I mean, uh, investor, oh, Tony snap. Shore. Tony, <laughs> are you an investor and do you lose? <laughs> well, I hope I'm not a perennial loser. I meant Thanks investor. for that, Dan. Oh, Dan, these past few days have been among the happiest I've ever ignored. <laughs> so anyway, um, Dan, uh, so good to be on the show with you. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, I think a lot of people, everything I read tells me that people don't succeed at market investing, that they aren't getting the returns they could be. And I, I've read different articles that say that's the majority of us. So uh, I financially, I'm sure I, you know, ho hopefully have good investments, but that's why you're here uh, to help keep me on track. Uh, but this is going to be an interesting show. I, thought, I mean, uh, uh, I thought your friend Warren, you know, the guy you always go see over in uh, Omaha, my, the Oracle of Omaha. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're friends with him, right? Oh, we're tight. Doesn't yeah, he keep you tight. honest and and you win a lot with him, don't you? Well, uh, we go to concerts together and stuff. Uh, we're into some of the same music, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I heard he has kind of a head for investment. <laughs> My buddy Warren Buffett. Anyway, uh, no, uh, I wish I was close personal friends with Warren, but you know what? I don't really need him. I've got you. Aww. And uh, as long as I'm friends with you, Dan, I'm not worried because you've given me great advice so far. But uh, what are we talking about today? Why are investors losers? Yes, indeed. We're going to talk about why they are. And most people, you're right, most people are. Most people are. And there's studies on this. So I'm going to reference a study. Uh, a group comes out every year with more data on this. They've been doing it since 1994. And the data every year <laughs> says the same thing. People get in their own way. <laughs> year after year. Now, you're not personally calling us losers. You're saying people, you're not saying everybody's a loser out there. You're saying financially when it comes to the market, they're losers. Right, on average. On average, the average on investor. Average. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to go through some of these numbers and just talk about why. You know, what? why is it that the average investor is a, is, is a loser. Well, I don't, I wouldn't say losers. Uh, it's a good point. They underperform compared to the market in general. Right. I'm sure a lot of listeners saying, Hey, I've been making money in the market the last few years. So, right. And we're going to, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the percentage they make compared to overall. if they just bought the market themselves, the market itself. Yeah. So why do people underperform the general market? And it's an interesting concept because, um, yes, you're right. Everyone did well last year for the most part, everyone. Um, in 2017, 2017, we all did well. 2017 was a great year. And I'm going to analyze that particular year with the data because, and then we'll kind of look at all the data for the past 30 years. But it's an interesting concept is that the re and, and what may surprise people is why they're underperforming. And when you hear the results of this and say, why are you underperforming? There are some things you could do to change and improve. So hopefully we'll have time to go over that as well today. 
Yeah. Well, I hope so. Uh, we got a lot to work in. Uh, but of course, I have to ask, how have you been? Uh, you've been busy there at Dolphin Financial? Yes. Um, not too busy, not overwhelmed, not where I can't breathe, but um, busy enough to be happy and spend time with the family. So, you know, what more can I ask for? Really? I talk about this all the time, Tony, how my goal is to help people retire and retire with increasing income and decreasing stress. And I'm trying to live in that motto myself by maybe not so much the increasing income part, but decreasing my stress. So well, I'm, both would be nice. Right, right. And and I think I can do both. But decreasing stress is a lot easier for me to focus on because um, I'm in complete control of that a lot of times. And while the market goes up and down and everything like that, I, I can, which I cannot control, I can control my reaction to it. And I'm trying to continue that. So I'm not stressed out. I'm not overworked, overwhelmed. I'm doing <laughs> just right. Better than all right, I should say. Excellent. Well, that's good. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful morning. I've had my coffee. I'm looking forward to this discussion. And uh, refresh my memory. So we're talking, what did you want to call the, I mean, why investors underperform? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, why investors lose compared to the market. So why they underperform? Um, let's, t and, and what I want to reference, and anyone can get this report. They can, um, I'll provide it to them. So you just got to let me know. Give me a call or an email or something like that. Just contact me and say you want the report. So the report is put out by Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R. I've heard of that. Yeah, and, and this report, I'm going to read the exact title here so we get it right. Quantitative Analysis of Investi Investor Behavior. So Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior. This is the 2018 QAIB report. And this is for the period ending December 31st, 2017. So this covers all of last year and it's put out by Dalbar. So you can, and I can get you a report. Well, I it think, sounds complicated. Are you going to put it in terms we can understand that relates to us? Or Isn't that what is I that, always do, Tony? That's what I always do. You do. <laughs> but you can the look it up. The title of that report just scared me. You can look it up. A lot of people will post information about this Dalbar report and this, this is yeah. the latest and greatest. And they're a company out of... Uh, where are they? Marlboro, Mass. Wow. I used to work there. Work. I used to work in Marlboro, Mass, believe it or not. You've been all over. You You used to live in Minnesota. Yeah. I didn't know you lived in Massachusetts. That's right. I worked at uh, Bay State Gas because it is the Bay State. I worked there for a short time. And wow. Marlboro, huh, isn't that funny? Anyway, um, so this is the 2018 report from Dalmar. And um, basically what the report does <clears throat> It uses, you know, scientific method to measure the effects of investors' decision to buy and sell and switch in and out of mutual funds over short and long-term time frames. So basically, it's it's analyzing their decisions, um, buying and selling mutual funds. And they use 30 years of data, but we're going to focus today, and we can look at all the data, but we're going to focus today on last year, 2017. And the effects are measured from the perspective of the investor. And it doesn't matter what the performance of the investments themselves are. So it's not like um, we're measuring if it goes up, this is what they do. If it goes, this is, it's just regardless of what, if whether it goes up and down, we're looking at their behavior. The whole point of this group and this study is to help people like me. So the report provides data and individuals can use it. And I'm going to share the information so you can make your own decisions. But it's really designed for financial advisors that help people invest. So what happens is, and what this data has shown over the years is that it's most of the problem is caused by investors acting imprudently or just making irrational decisions. And so this report and this group QAIB offers guidance on how the investor behaviors can be improved. So it's really um, something that I read and, and use to improve my own practice, but I want to share the data with people so that they get an idea what's behind the curtain here. Why is this happening? So um, this is going to cover the 30-year period all the way through last year, December 31st of last year. This, so this includes the 1987 crash after that, the drop uh, at the millennium, at the turn of the millennium, the 08 crash, which is most fresh on people's mind, even though it was 10 yeah, years big now. One. But it was a big one. And, but it also includes the recovery from that, that, yeah. that leading to the current bull market we're in. Right. So it, it, 
this today, I want to talk about what happened last year, which if anybody, if you ask anybody would, I would think we'd say 2017 was a good year for the stock market. Well, it's, it just broke constant records. It didn't have, it, it hardly had any dips and, and the, the ones they had were not that big. Uh, it mainly just kept climbing and maintained. That's right. We had a very low key climb up last year, meaning we didn't not have many dips. Not a lot of volatility. Not a lot of volatility. This year in 2018, we've had more volatility. I think we had more volatility in the first month or two in 2018 than we had in all of 2017. Yeah. So yeah, you had mentioned that in an earlier show, and and we were looking at an article that said that, and I I just think that that's amazing. Uh, 2017 was such a great year for the market. It was. So that does that mean everyone did great? I mean, when I hear the market made, you know, climbed 30 percent mm -hmm. in 2017, or made 30 percent, or whatever it made, or 10, 20, 30, does that mean? People who are invested in the market all made that much. <laughs> that's just it. They didn't. What the re the results <laughs> see, of the data? See, that's the problem right there. <laughs> We're talking about the average investor. The results ever since this study's been coming out, and I read it every year. I think we did one one last year on this. Every year, it shows that the average investor earns less. In many cases, a lot less than the average mutual fund performance reports would suggest they make. So when you see, oh, the S and P did this the average investor actually did worse. So let's let's just kind of summarize what happened last year. 2017, the average equity fund investor underperformed the S&P 500 again. Surprise, surprise. The S&P 500 last year was up 21.83%. That's pretty darn wow, good, Over by the, the way. previous year. So so last year, it, it, it made 21, over 21%. Yep, 21.8%. The average investor made 20.6. So 1.2% less the average investor oh, did. Oh, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. Not, last year was not more. so bad, and I'm going to explain why it wasn't so bad. But we've seen years usually, that's a lot if worse. You look at, if you look at a 30-year period, it's a lot worse. Oh, it right? is. I mean, oh, indeed it is. Um so the reason, so the average, so here's another statistic from this report, and I'm going to put it in, in basic English because there are a lot of data points and you know, jargon, but, and plus I'm talking to you, Tony, so I got to keep it right. real. You got to keep it simple. I don't need you slapping me here, but the average <laughs> equity fund investor, what am I, by the way, what is an average equity fund investor? That's just their way of saying the average investor that's in, investing in stocks. Okay. So um, let me see if I can give you their exact definition of of equity fund investor. It's a investor comprised of a universe of both domestic and world equity mutual funds. So it includes growth sector, alternative strategies, value blend, emerging markets, global equity, international, regional equity. It's just a blend. It's just the average thing, uh, investor, sure. right? So it's not like a specific style. So it's probably a lot like my 401k, which I want to add, I did not make 21.8% in 2017 on my 401k, which is all in the market. See, that's weird. So we have to look okay. at that. Why? And and yeah. I can explain that too, but I have to look at it. Um, so the, the average um, equity fund investor was actually outperforming the S&P 500 by a oh, slim wow. margin entering the month of October. Wow. And then underperformed in the final three months of the year to finally finish out lower than the average. In fact, the underperformance can be entirely attributed to the fourth quarter of last year. Wow. So why is that? That's because last year, 2017, two of the three best performing months for the S&P 500 was, were October and November. And that just so happened to be when the most relatively large outflows of assets came. So people started pulling out of the market in October and November when it started doing best. It just seems like that's what happens, right? <laughs> it seems. Of course. Right. Um, the, now, there's also um, bond investors. I call them uh, fixed income. Fixed income is going to be the, the less risky assets, usually yep. treasury bonds. And if you compare that to the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Treasury Index, the um, Bloomberg Index was up 2.31% last year, whereas the average fixed income fund investor was up 1.52. So they outperformed by almost you know half. So wow. yeah, it happened no matter which way. If you were aggressive or you were conservative, you still underperformed. Um, now, 
But isn't that almost always the way it is? I mean, you said you look at this thing every year. I know you want to focus on 2017, but wow. Uh, I mean, I've heard in the past that the S&P outperforms uh, the average investor by quite a bit in past years, right? Oh, absolutely. Let me let me give you some of that data because that's a good point, Tony. Um, let me see if I can bring it up here. Um, yeah. So in general, when you look at the historical returns, let's say the last 10 years, the average equity fund investor over the last 10 years returned 4.88%. Four point eight. Right. That's not bad. You know, I would take. You know, I've run into so many people it, in it retirement. It beats inflation. That's right. That's right. Our last show on inflation, we talked about the silent killer. Um, this this four point eight eight percent. I have. You wouldn't. You would be. I don't think you'd be surprised. But the listeners, you might be surprised to hear how many of people come up to me as they approaching retirement and say, "Hey, if you can give me four point eight eight percent, I'll give you all my money and just guarantee four point eight eight percent." Because they're happy with that, you know. This, that, oh yeah, right. I would be. I hear all these, you know, a lot of brokers tell their clients, "Hey, look at over the last thirty years, this is how much the stock market has made." Thirty, you know, had you had your money in the stock market, and they pull a number like the S and P five hundred for the last thirty years. Well, but nobody actually made that. See, some people do. That's some people, my point. And and some people make more. But but the average investor, right? Let's look at the last twenty years, Tony, because that's that you know that's a better you know ten years is interesting. But let's talk about the last 20 years. So that puts us at 1998, right? Yep. We had the dot-com bubble. We had the 08 crisis. If you if you just sat on it and didn't touch it, you would have made 7.2% in the S&P 500. 7.2%. You know what's wow. interesting is the rule of 72, 7.2%. Um, that means your money doubles every 10 years. Wow. So if you started with 100000 in um, 1998, it would be worth 200000 and then it would be worth... Four hundred thousand. Wow! So, yeah, if you could maintain that return, right, it would be worth four hundred thousand today after twenty years. Yeah, yeah. that's seven point two percent. That's if you put in the S and P five hundred and didn't think about it. Yep. But the average equity investor over the last twenty years got five point two nine, so underperformed they, by two percent, which is significant. Because they buy, because they buy and sell. And, well, that's and they, why, and, and it's when they get in and out, right? That's it. So the question is why? What well, what is going on here? You know, what's interesting, and you said it at the beginning, how come my 401k isn't up 20 point whatever percent? You yeah, know? I mean, you said, you said, hey, in 2017, uh, the stock market was up, the S&P was up tw- over 20%, 21.8%. Well, why why isn't my uh, personal IRA and 401k, why didn't they make 20% or 21% last year? Because the S&P 500 might be up 21.8%, but the aggregate treasury index from Bloomberg is up 2.3. So odds are you have some of your money in a fixed income fund or some sort of conservative fund. Sure. So therefore, you're going to bring down the average. In fact, if you look at what happened last year, which sectors, do you have any idea, Tony? Like, I, there's different types of sectors. We have energy, sure. healthcare, technology, you know, um, there's a lot of natural resources. So which sector do you think did well in 2017? Do you, do you have any idea? Do you remember what the headlines were? Is there a, is there a pizza sector? Mm-hmm. You got it. That's right. The pizza sector. Well known. Well known by Pizza the Hut. No. Well, I know it wasn't energy. Um, That's right. Uh, that it, one didn't I know it well. wasn't oil and gas. Um, I, I don't think it was precious metals. What sector was it? Technology. Technology. Right. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Technology. Apple, Google. Right. The fang the stocks. The kids today with their, their, you know. Their interwebs and their <laughs> video games. I can't. I can't keep up with them, Dan. Average technology fund investor, twenty seventeen, thirty five point six eight percent. Wow. Thirty five. Right. Healthcare was second at twenty three point four five. So look at the difference there. Twelve percent difference between the two top one and top two performers. Wow, that's a big difference. Of course, healthcare. It's like they better be making tons of money and doing well. Uh, they, my healthcare costs increase, my insurance increase by about forty or fifty percent. Yeah, wouldn't so. it be great if your portfolio increased by as much as the healthcare costs went up? <laughs> yeah, let's see, my insurance I'd be went retired. up forty percent. So I should. That means my uh, my dividend checks and my <laughs> investments should go up forty percent this year as well. Right, right, right. and that wouldn't that be nice? But, well, and Social Security for for our elderly and for the retired, because the healthcare costs they endure in long term care have went up exponentially by 40% a year. 
uh, then they're going to increase Social Security by 40% for everybody who gets it, right? There is talk of them changing the way Social Security, um, the inflation I'm rate I'm being sarcastic. That. I want to let our listeners know, obviously. <laughs> they definitely are ch- thinking about changing w- how that Social Security um, cost of living increase is determined. Because you're right, it isn't. Uh, it doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I heard they're going to increase, they want to double it, like from 2 to 4%. Well, they're just going to change the formula, how they use it, yeah. and that just so happens with double it. But you know what? That reminds me. I'm going to do some seminars uh, upcoming um, this summer, and I'm going to. I'm going. To, I think I'm going to start up again with Social Security. It's been a while since I've done some Social Security seminars. I think people really need that info because it's the big one. So, but well, as you get closer to retirement, you don't want to file with so, for Social Security without talking to Dan Wendell. That's right. That's what I tell everyone I know. Yeah. Uh, because if you file for Social Security without having that Social Security maximization report, and the people at the Social Security office, they're great, but they're not even allowed to give you strategies and help you with the strategies. Uh, they don't even, some of the workers there don't even know about the different filing options. Uh, so this report tells you exactly how to file, when to file to maximize those benefits. And you can run that report for our listeners, can't you? Yeah, right, exactly. And uh, they're not allowed to give you strategy and financial guidance at social security office you don't want them right. giving you financial guidance they're not right. professionals you know they have licenses right. um so or regulation so any but anyway i think that might answer your question you know you see the technology sector did really well the three poorest poorest sectors in 2017 natural resources utilities yeah. like i said oil and gas utilities did really poorly precious metals relatively relatively speaking so <clears throat> you know I think that um, you, you, a lot of people, they they turn on the news and they see, oh, the Dow's up, you know, whatever, 10, 10%. Um, mm-hmm. who, no one owns the Dow, you know, 30 stocks. I mean, this it's it's just a bad way of looking at it. The S&P is right. a pretty decent way, but a, a lot of people in their 401ks, they have a target date fund, which is interesting because the average target date fund investor in 2017 outperform the average asset allocation fund investor by almost 7%. So the average target date fund was up 17% and the average asset allocation fund was up 10%. So, you know, depending on how you invested is going to change how you, how you did. But in general, in general, the average investor underperformed relative to just the S&P 500. And that's, that's the takeaway here. And the question is why? And I think we want to get into that. Let's, you know. Well, let's wait until our next segment, though. Okay. Uh, why is really the part that's going to help our listeners understand what they might be able to do uh, differently uh, so they're not lumped in with the average losers, as you call them. <laughs> I know. I called you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It was just me. All right. Well, then that's fine. <laughs> then that's good. Oh, Dan. Um, anyway, uh, but this is a good discussion. Very necessary. I've always wondered why, you know, uh, is there a way I can get my investments, you know, maybe move that money out of the 401k into something that uh, is going to do better when the market does better. But yet, you know, I don't want to take on that risk, but we'll get, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So is there anything you want to add for our listeners before we take this break? Absolutely. So we're talking about why investors underperform, why they lose, why why they don't do as well as just holding on to that index. And when we get back, we're going to talk specifically about why, and especially in 2017, why. Um, this is all based on the Dalbar study that they put out every year. This one is the quantitative analysis of investor behavior. Sounds technical. It is, but we're just kind of going through this data and making it simple to understand. And I'm going to talk more specifically about why people seem to underperform the market. Now, if you want a copy, a physical or even electronic copy of this report, I will gladly get it to you. Just give me a call and let me know. Say, hey, I want that report. I want to read it for myself. Maybe you're technical. Maybe you just want to see the numbers that seem overwhelmingly surprising. Right, Tony? I mean, some of these numbers seem ridiculous. How 20 year average, you're, you, you know, you do half of what the just holding on would do. I mean, it's like, what? How do we go, how do we fix this? So, I'll get you a copy of this report. No, no charge. Just give me a call. The number is eight 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 five zero eight five nine three five. Again, that's eight 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 five zero eight five nine three five. All right, and listeners, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more of Dolphin Financial Radio and Dan Wendell after this. 
Hi, this is Peter, and you are listening to my dad talk about financial stuff. Radio is cool, but if you're like me, you would rather watch videos. Did you know my dad has a YouTube channel? Go to dolphinfinancialgroup.com or search for Dolphin Financial Group on YouTube to watch some cool videos. This is Peter signing out with a dolphin noise. This is Violet, and you're listening to Dolphin Financial Radio. And welcome back to Dolphin Financial Radio. I'm your co-host, Tony Shore, and our host, Dan Wendell of Dolphin Financial Group. Dan, great discussion today on talking about why your average investor underperforms, but why does the S&P, like in 2017, it was only a point, but over the last 10 years, it was uh, you know, almost double. So why do... Why does the average investor usually outperform the market or underperform? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and even on the short term basis, it happens. And the big ones, and the and the and I think the the main reason um, people underperform, even like think about twenty seventeen, it was a great year. We had yep. we had valuations that were great. We had anticipation of lower taxes. Right, that was a big platform for Trump. The market was presumably anticipating economic expansions with tax cuts and growth stocks ruled. So if you weren't in growth stocks, you know, if you, you may have underperformed because large cap growth, these are companies that are large cap and big companies that are planning to grow. Um, they earned about 30% last year, whereas the S&P 500 was uh, 21, 22. So that's a pretty wide margin. But let's talk specifically about, okay, if I'm, even if I'm in the large cap growth fund, why am I underperforming what everyone else is doing in that same fund? And the answer is that there's basically a bunch of reasons, but the main two, we'll talk about two of them. Um, we've talked about in the past, the um, investor behaviors, um, Dalbar breaks out nine of them, which we can go through, but I want to talk specifically about two main reasons why people did worse in 2017. First, short-term focus is a big one. People were just, thinking short term and market timing was another one. People trying to time the market. See the bottom line, irrational investor behavior is the reason why people did worse. And it's typically triggered by some sort of stimulus, some, some sort of event, Uh, geopolitical event is common, you know, Oh, you know, Korea, right. Oh, that, you know, it wasn't actually 2017 was, uh, you know, Russia, right. Oh, that's going to, the president's getting impeached. We're going to sell. Um, previous market experiences, they've been beat before, so they're concerned. Different news stories, a hot tip from a colleague in the water cooler. Oh, you know, I'm going to buy this, right? And so what it does, it distracts the investor from her or his uh, long-term goal. And so, but, you know, underperformance is only partially from poor decision-making. There are other factors. So you got fees. That's one to consider. People mm. need cash sometimes. You know, you know oh, just sure. life happens. Yeah. Um, to the best of us. You know, or you just don't have funds. You know, some people don't have funds at the right time. You know, I'll give you an example. We talked about this in a previous show. Well, we talked about marijuana and uh, Bitcoin, right? Timing was yeah. everything in there. Two controversial right. topics that you had to bring up. Right. The water cooler discussion, you know, oh, I'm going to yeah. invest in that. And then they pick, they buy at the top, you know, and then they lose and then they can't recover from it. But more realistic reason, which happens to a lot of people, I, my son broke his arm. Remember that? And, yeah. you know, say, I, I think it came out, I, I forget the exact number, but let's just say 10 grand is what it cost me for a medical event. Well, you know, if I have to withdraw 10 grand to cover medical costs, I, I wouldn't call that an irrational behavior. You can't call that irrational investing behavior because it just so happens that that medical bill is something more pressing than me investing in a 10 year right. time horizon, you know? So um, a lot of people don't have emergency funds. A lot of people don't have any savings, but those that do, if a, if a medical emergency comes along, along and they have to take some out of their investment to pay for it, well, that's just that's just what you got to do. It's not like you're, your behavior was irrational or there's some sort of psychological factor. It's just bad timing, you know, or, you know, like let's say you move and you need to put a down payment on a house and you need to take money to put that down payment. You know, you don't move very often, although people move a lot more than they used to, 
but let's say you you bought a house in the in October of last year and 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 you had to take the money out right before then and then all of a sudden the market skyrockets that quarter you know and you missed the last yeah. the bull run of 2017 you know that just that's that's unfortunate but what are you going to do you got to move you got to put the down payment on and you can't beat yourself up for that sometimes luck factors in but but um there are really are two behaviors that evidence shows time and again that really fall outside of what we consider prudent investment strategy. These are these are truly irrational or or behaviors that can be fixed that that you don't have an excuse for, in other words. You know, these are the ones that do. It's tendency to move in and out of investments too frequently and tendency to try and time the market. Those are the two biggies. So the Dalbar study, the data shows this, that the average mutual fund investor has not stayed invested for a long enough time to execute the long-term strategy. This is just yeah, what seems to happen. time in the market, not not timing the market. Right. And I think it was our buddy Warren Buffett who said that. I think he did say that. It's not a, you yeah. can't time the market. It's more, more important to time in the market is more important than timing the market. And, and that's yes. it. And yeah. what happens is people, I think it's um, less than four years is the average whole time for these, um, or about four years, when the typical market strategy or long-term strategy is 10, right? I, I, when I deal with people, well, I'm looking at a 10-year horizon on some you know strategies. So if, if you go for a 10-year strategy and, and pull out of that strategy after three years, well, you just blew it up. You, I mean, you're not going to, to get it. And But that's what everyone seems to do. Right. And so they stay in for a fraction of the market cycle and and they tr and it just doesn't work. And it's, it's emotions, too. I mean, you've talked a lot about this before, but it really is just people getting emotional. They get excited about something they hear at the water cooler at work or a talking head mentions one little thing on TV or they get excited about a company or, uh, you know, they they believe the headlines that the sky is falling. And so they panic. And or they see the market drop and they're like, wow, it dropped last month and it's still dropping. I better get out. Right. So they get out at the bottom mm -hmm. and then they get back in after it starts going up. So they're losing money at that point. Right. I mean, all the the, the Dalbar studies show in many instances that, you know, when when there's a shift in cash and you'll sometimes see that on the TV. Oh, you know, investors are pulling out of the market or investors are pouring money in the market. It's usually opposite of the direction of the market. It's usually when investors are pulling out, that's when the market starts to go up. And it's like, how is that possible? There's a bunch of people selling, but you gotta remember every time someone's selling, someone's buying. So um, it's interesting how it just seems counterintuitive. But but if you look at the, even like the fixed income and the asset allocation, people that are balanced, the people that are going for like the short, you know, low risk stuff, over the long term, investors lack patience. They don't stay in for more than four years. That's just typical. Even yeah. when the markets are uh, what you would say perfect, you know, 2017 could really be one of the perfect years of investing. I mean, low volatility, straight up. I mean, there was only a 10 days where it was like, oh, maybe this is kind of scary. But for the most part, it was like this thing went straight up. There wasn't any concerns, right? So if, of all the years... That would be the year to do really well, and which is why, Tony, you see that the difference isn't as high as it is on average. You know, the right. average difference might be 5%, but here it was only 1% so or 2 So, um, but even still, the, the retention rates, they call it, which is, you know, how long people stay, they're still suggesting that people were, were not patient, even in 2017. Um, they were more patient than other years, but still relatively... They were low. In fact, over 25% of assets are being redeemed and replaced in last year. So when I say that, that means 25% of, of the assets in the market were sold and then immediately put back in that same year. So it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm selling and I'm spending it. It's They were new purchases. And um, that's on average over the last 20 years. So, wow. it's, so people, they... they what happens is they're not pulling out of their money and then just spending it on something for the rest of their lives. They're actually selling and buying something new to a new asset, moving from one investment to another, which 
doesn't make sense. What the only thing that that means is that money movement is people trying to be tactical and tie in the market. There's no really other logic behind it. If you sell something and then immediately buy something else, you're tr- you're being tactical. You're trying to time the market, and that's <laughs> that's where people get screwed. They get they fail when they try and time the market. It just never seems. I you know I joke about it sometimes when I I meet with people and they say, all right, um, can we not invest this? Can we hold on to it for maybe a couple of weeks? And I'm just looking at them like, you know, what do you do? You, do you know something I don't know? You know, I'm like, come on now. Unless, you know, they don't, they don't know. I mean, how many, how many people do you know, Tony, that said, I'm selling the market right before the election because if Donald Trump wins, the market's going to crash. If Hillary wins, it's going to go up. And I don't know which way is going to, the election's going to go. So I'm selling because there's a chance Donald Trump will win. And so they sold and Donald Trump won and then the market went crazy up and they missed, right? right? Um, the Dalbor study that I'm referencing, they, they call this the guess right ratio. It, the guess right ratio. It basically measures the inflows and outflows and determines how often people correctly anticipate the direction of the market the following month. So the question for you, Tony, is um, how often do you think that they got it right? Investors say if they pull money out of the market, the next month the market goes down. Or if they add money to the market, the next month the market goes up. What are the what are the chances that they, they get it right? Do you have any idea? Um, uh, I don't know. Not very good. 50-50. <laughs> uh, so it's just like flipping a coin. It's like flipping a coin, but 2017 they got it wrong. <laughs> 20, 2017 they got it wrong. The average investor did not guess right. Um, it's just funny. The dollar... Um, of of mount volume of bad guesses exceeded the volume of the correct guesses, <laughs> and and the interesting part is even one month, you know, you get it wrong one time, you can wipe out several right correct correct guesses, right? In twenty seventeen, right. investors guessed right correctly. They they guessed correctly three out of the twelve months. <laughs> they wow. guessed correctly three out of the twelve months. That's twenty five percent success rate in 2017. Now remember, I just got done telling you, and you know this, 2017 was consistently up. It went up and up and up. It's like, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. So I'm laughing at it because I'm, you know, I'm an average guy too. Like, I don't know. I'll tell you this right straightforward. Anyone listening, I'm an investment advisor. I help people invest their money. I don't know which direction the market's going to go. I don't have a magic crystal ball. I, I really don't. And I don't have, you know, a better guess than anyone else because if I did, I'd keep it a secret, right? No, no, I would, I would tell my clients. But really, <laughs> keep it a secret. But really, think about it. Think about it. If I knew some insider information, that's illegal. You just don't know. So, and and we, <laughs> that's sad though. Twenty seventeen, three out of twelve months, they got correct. Wow. So that means eight out of twelve or nine out of twelve, they they got it wrong. So. <laughs> So why? Why is that? What what happened in 2017 that so many people got it wrong? Even as the market was going up, people were less likely to add more. So what that signifies, and this is all part of the study as well, signifies a distrust with the current bull market. Investors seem unwilling to continue investing at the same rate since we're at market all-time highs. And so because of that, they, that's what's leading to the underperformance. So mm. now it's only 1.9%, 1.19%, 1.2%. Um, and most of that was in the fourth quarter. So as we got closer to the end of the year in 2017, people were like, oh, this can't last. This can't last. I'm getting out. I'm getting out. And so October rolled around, right? They pulled out. <laughs> and then October, the S&P was up 2.3%. The second best month of the year. And that's, at that time, the, the the net flows in were the second lowest of the year. So it was like directly opposite of what people should have d- done, and it's just crazy. It's it's amazing, but that's just what happened. And then and then uh, in November, to an even greater extent, then the net outflows increased. So it's accelerated. More and more people pulled out uh, in November, and the November 
was also a good year. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so it's funny. It, 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 people just get it wrong consistently. And that's why, you know, sometimes you just buy and hold sometimes works. Um, and then, you know, what happened funny in, in December is, is people started piling money back in and the S and P they had a re- unremarkable month that year compared to the yeah. other months. So December was up minor, but, um, Wow. It was it was well below the average up month for the year. So it just seems like, what is it? And it's it's investor psychology. That's what it comes down to. It's emotional, irrational behaviors. That's what's leading to this. And that's really what this report has said over the years. And and I want to talk, and, and we do have time, right? Let me see, how are we doing on time? We have time. I want to yeah. talk about these nine... Um, or was it? Yeah, it's nine actual behaviors. We'll just briefly go over the different uh, irrational behaviors that people do that plague their investing experience. It's just, it's crazy. So we can go over them and say, here's some things to avoid. Sure. Um, first thing people got to realize is that there, when when discussing investor behavior, you have to understand the thoughts and actions that lead to poor decision making. It's not just simply buying and selling at the wrong time. It's the thought. It's the it's what's behind the thought, the trap the tr- that triggers the misconceptions that actually lead to the irrational behavior. Um, the irrational behavior leads to buying and selling at the wrong time, which leads to underperformance. So we have to go back to what was the irrational behavior to begin with. And there are nine yeah. there are nine distinct behaviors that plague investors. Uh, it's just based on individuals. Some some do more sure. than others. So why don't we go through them and see what you think um, yeah. and how we can avoid them. So first one is loss aversion. Loss aversion. Expecting to find high returns with low risk. So people want low risk and they think they'll get high returns from it. Mm. That's a problem. Okay. Yeah, there's a trade-off there, isn't there? There is a trade-off, but people don't accept it. And, and it's, if that's you not want rational. high returns, you have to take more risk. Right. That, that's it. So what people say is, oh, the, the market over the past 20 years, 7.2%. That assumes a lot of risk. You know, yes, 7.2% on average, but that doesn't, that also, that includes 2018. I mean, 2008, 2008, I mean, um, where we lost 30%. Oh, I don't want to lose 30%. I don't want to lose anything. In fact... I don't want to have negative balance at all, ever. So I'd like to get that 7.2% return, but I will not tolerate being negative, you know? Well, maybe I could take 1% down the downside, but 30, forget about it. So how is it possible for you to get that 7.2% average? You have to ride the good and the bad, and people have a loss aversion, and so it's irrational. It's very irrational to expect high returns with low risk. It just doesn't work. If it does, right. something's not right. Someone's someone's lying. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's a trade-off. What's the next thing on the list? Narrow framing. So you make decisions without considering all implications. So you just kind of put your blinders on. Uh, um, you know, oh, I'm just I'm 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 focused on the market, seven point two percent. Um, I'm just gonna yeah. So that's what it's done in the average, so that's what I can expect. You don't think about, oh wait, if I do that, then I might lose or you know, if I, if I invest in this, maybe I didn't think about taxes or you, 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 you just focus on the decision without taking all the factors. That's not rational at all, but a lot of people do it because they just, they might be ignorant to it. They may not know about it. And, um, you got to consider all the implications. The next, obviously, yeah. The next one is mental accounting, taking undue risk in one area and avoiding rational risk in another that people do this a lot, actually. Um, you know, taking taking um, Bitcoin as an example, I think people understand that that's pretty risky, right? I, I mean, I don't think there's a lot right. of people investing in cryptocurrencies that doesn't understand that there's some risk there, right? right. So, so they take a small portion and they and they invest in it. But um, you know, when when people are saying, 
oh, I'm young, I could take the risk, and then they throw all of it in Bitcoin. That's not, that's not the way to do it. If you're going to take risk, be rational about it. It's okay to take risks. It's certainly okay to, and like we talked about when we did the, our show on crypt, cryptocurrency and marijuana stocks, we talked about what if you took, you know, two and a half percent of your portfolio and invested it in cryptocurrency. That's a rational risk. Okay, if I lose that, I'm, that's only up 2% of my overall portfolio. I can afford it. It's when you start just taking 50% and throwing it in there. It's like, that's not, that's not the way to do it. And they just yeah. don't, the mental accounting there is a problem. So I think people, mm, that's a big one that they don't realize, you know. And then they'll say, oh, I'm invested in Bitcoin. Oh, I would never, I would never drive the subway and uh, take the subway in New York City. That's a death trap. Oh, that's risky. <laughs> oh, never, ever. You know, my kids, my kids, we're going, we're, we're going to New York, right? And uh, the first time on a plane, oh my God, I'm scared. We're going to die. Planes are risky. I said, you know what's riskier than a plane? Sitting in this car with me driving right now. What do you mean? Well, because there's crazy drivers out there and they can hit us and I don't have control of it. It's a lot safer to fly in a plane than it is to drive on US-19, right? But people, you know, anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Your little personal rant. Sorry. Next one. This is, this is one of my favorites because this is a lot of people for, the, for this uh, irrational behavior. Diversification, okay? Diversification. <laughs> this is a good one. Seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. So what I mean by that is, oh, I'm diversified. I have stocks and I also have international mutual funds and I also have, you know, utilities and everything like that. I'm diversified. I don't have a risk. So the problem with diversification is the whole point of diversifying is to reduce risk. But some people just diversify their risk. Oh, I'm going to diversify by buying Bitcoin and then I'm also going to buy some marijuana stocks because then I, you know, not putting not, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket, Tony. Well, if you take a step back, you say, wait a sec, those are two of the riskiest investments out there right now. You're yeah. not, you're not diversifying. You're just spreading the same level of risk in two different ways. Uh, people mess that up all the time. I'm diversified. I own mutual funds. Well, what does that mean? You know, diversification would be I own real estate, I own cash, I own precious metals, I own stocks, I own annuities, I owned, uh, I, I, I own some property down the street. You know, that's, that's diversified, you know? Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's my pet peeve is people say they're diversified when they're really not. Yeah. How much time we got? We got five more. Do we got it? Yep. Okay, perfect. I'll go quick. Sorry. You give me the look. Why are you giving me the look? <laughs> because you better hurry. Hurting, hurting. Um, I can't make a lemming noise. I don't know. The herd mentality. Yeah, copying the behaviors of others, even if in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Yeah, everyone's doing it, so I'm not even go into that. But you know, that's that's more water cooler talk too. Uh, yeah. Another investor behavior which is irrational: regret, treating errors of commission more seriously than errors of omission. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't do that. I can't believe I didn't invest in Bitcoin. Now I'm, now I'm, you know, now I'm miserable. And so I'm going to make stupid decisions going forward just to prove myself wrong. <laughs> you know, regret is a powerful, powerful emotion. You don't want to get in that emotional state when it comes to investing. That's a biggie. You don't want to, and fear of missing out, FOMO, you don't want to be in that situation. Move on, forget about it. Next investment, treat each investment as a new opportunity, analyze the pros and cons. Don't let past regrets determine your future moves. It really is terrible. A lot of people do it though. Which leads me to some quick solutions. Do we have time for some quick solutions, Tony? Sure, sure. You work with an advisor. Now, I charge a fee, so you have to overcome that fee, but my fee is gonna overcome your poor decisions. I'm going to be that person to make sure you aren't exhibiting one of these nine investing behaviors because I can stand up from the distance and say, hey, you know, you're you're anchoring, you're you're hurting. Don't follow the herd. You know, I could be that voice of reason that says, no, 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 we're not going to do it that way because everyone else is. We're going to do it this way because that's what makes sense for you. And so most of my job as an investment advisor isn't picking winners or losers, Tony. It's helping investors avoid themselves, helping them make rational decisions and not fall into irrational behavioral traps. 
That's why people pay me to help them. That's where my value comes in. And that's why when you look at your results working with me, you look at them in your own, through your own lens, through your own goals that we set and not based on what everyone else is doing and what the market's doing. You feel right. more empowered and, you, and you're not worried. It's always, it's always comes down to making poor decisions that hurt you in the long run. If I can prevent you from doing that, that's where my value comes in. Awesome. Uh, and another way you can avoid it is just buy something that's got penalty for leaving. <laughs> I've seen people, <laughs> uh, you know, I see people come to me, oh, look at this annuity that this guy sold me. And I'm like, well, you know, the good part is that you, yes, you can't get out of it, but at least you're not going to make a silly decision with it because it costs too much. So you hold on to it and lo and behold, you make 5% over 10 years. You're like, well, that's better than I would have done if I was in and out of everything. <laughs> right. So, but in, in, in all seriousness, certain ways of setting up your retirement, if it's set it and we have a long-term plan and I can steer you down that 10-year platform down the road and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invest in this stock portfolio. We're going to hold on to it. We're not going to panic when the market goes up or down. If I'm there in 10 years, you're going to say, wow, I didn't have to deal with all that drama and I'm ahead of the game. That's what investing is all about. Don't get in your own way. Yeah. Good advice, and I think that's smart. Now, we're out of time for today's show. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? Yes, Tony, 2017 was a great year last year. The markets did well. The average investor slightly underperformed the market, but over time, if you look, the average investor significantly underperforms the market in general. Why? Because they make irrational decisions. They make silly financial decisions at the wrong time, and I'm here to say, don't do it. You give me a call. We'll talk. We'll set up a plan that you can stick to and stick to your guns and not make these mistakes that everyone else seems to be making. Take control. Get someone there to help you. Dolphin Financial Group is designed for that. We help people retire. We help people stay on path. And this was all in reference to the recent 2018 Dalbar study, quantitative analysis on investor behavior. If you want a copy of it or if you want to talk about setting up a plan for you so you don't make these irrational mistakes, Give me a call, no charge. We'll sit to get to one, get to know one another, and we'll see how we can go from there. The number to set up that appointment is 888-508-5935 or go to dolphinfinancialgroup.com. That's 888-508-5935. All right. That does it for today's episode of Dolphin Financial Radio with our amazing host, Dan Wendell. Thank you for listening to Dolphin Financial Radio. Don't try to retire without a solid income plan. For more information, please contact Dan Wendell at Dolphin Financial Group. Call 888-508-5935 or visit the website at dolphinfinancialgroup.com. Dan Wendell or Dolphin Financial Group are not affiliated or endorsed by Social Security or any government agency. Everything discussed on today's show was for informational purpose only. Since everyone's situation is different, some things may not apply to you. The materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources. We cannot be 100% certain that they are accurate. You should really talk to my dad or someone from Dolphin Financial Group before trying to implement these ideas or strategies.